information for our families. First, because of class size limits, we're going to have to require parents to pre-register their kids before Sunday. Uh, if you want to be added to our list, contact Nancy Moore. We're going to email out the registration link every Monday, and then you'll have until Thursday to go and register your kids or until the classes fill up. On Sunday morning, your tags will be located where your youngest child is. Uh, our volunteers will take temperatures of all children entering the area, and then volunteers will escort our children to their classrooms. Only volunteers and children will be allowed into kids' life areas on Sunday, and all our volunteers will be temperature checked. We're going to have limited class sizes, uh, limited touching of items by different kids, and we'll also have no mixing of classes. We have many things in place to keep our kids safe in kids' life, including hand sanitizer in each classroom, as well as cleanup procedures for our volunteers to follow. You know, there's lots of changes and different things uh, for our kids and volunteers and families this year, but we are still so excited for the opportunities to help our kids begin where they are and become more like Jesus this year. On Sunday mornings, we will have our regular scheduled program at the 11 o'clock hour for kids. And on the second and fourth Sundays of every month, we will have kids' messages in the service. We also are going to have our family worship videos for families to gather at home and watch a video um, that has some teaching, some lessons, some music, um, and some activities and discussion questions for families to do at home. We also have Kids Life at Home. And that is going to be curriculum from Early Kids Life for our preschool and kindergartners. And also we have J-Clubs, which is Jump Kids Club and Journey 345 Club for our first and second graders and our third through fifth graders. And those will have activities so that they can still stay in touch with what we're doing here at Kids Life. We can't wait to see you all. Hope to see you soon. Good morning, Cybers Bible Church. So happy that you could uh, join us this morning here live in the sanctuary and live online. Uh, praise God that we are alive. Amen. All right. Um, well, we come in, we come here this morning to, to praise and worship God. Uh, before we do that, we've got a few announcements. Uh, as you've just seen, uh, our programming for children will be starting back on September the 13th at the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, so we do need some volunteers to make all that happen and, and keep everybody safe. And so. Uh, please reach out to us uh, and let us know if that's something you'd be uh, interested in finding more about. Um, we're still collecting food for CAM. Uh, we've got the trailer out here, and we are collecting on, on Sundays and then Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 4. Um, we are talking with uh, Hope Disaster Recovery to uh, look at ways that we can help respond to some of the hurricane disaster, so keep your ears open for that, and we'll let you know. Uh, how you can participate in that as, as a church. So, uh, well, let's enter into a time of, of worship. Um, you know, God calls us to, to, be, to be overcomers. And he says that we will, we will face suffering and pain in this world, but, uh, but take cheer. He has overcome the world. The prophet Job tells us that, um, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, so we enter into a time of worship this morning. Uh, let's start that with, with prayer. 
Uh, Father God, we come into your presence and we are just so grateful. We are in awe of you and all you have accomplished in sending your son into the world. That we can know with confidence that he has overcome the world through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we take confidence in that this morning and we want to live in the power of his resurrection, Lord. We want to live in, in, as overcomers, as Jesus tells us that we are. And so we commit ourselves to that end this morning, and we worship you because of these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, can we stand together as we lift our praise to the Lord, and we sing together, blessed be the name of the Lord.
He gives and takes away. Blessed be your name are a direct reference to Job when he heard of calamity after calamity after calamity. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It reminds us that even in the darkest of times, even when it seems that God has removed his hand of blessing from us, his name is still to be praised. Each of us from time to time will encounter struggles, trials and hardships. For many, there will be difficulties where we question whether or not we can endure. Friends, do not lose hope. Do not lose faith. The Lord our God is still our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So when fear and doubt arise, and they will, we must remember, God alone has the power to save. God alone has the power to redeem. When trials, tribulation come our way and seem too much to bear, God alone will make a way. Will you read this passage aloud with me from Matthew 19? The words of Jesus are as true today as they were when he spoke these words to his disciples. Let's read together. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible.
even when I don't see it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Sing it out loud. You are. My God, that is who you times and worst of times. You are with us. You are God and you are worthy of our praise. Lord, I come. I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides Church, let's proclaim it together. Sing it out. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you.
Hi, we're Dave and Amy Edwards, and we have three children, Claire, Allison, and Ryan. We've been attending Cypress Bible Church since before we were married, so a little over 25 years. And we were asked to share our story. We all have stories, and um, I think ours has been ongoing now for a while since a situation happened in our lives. Um, 17 years ago, our firstborn um, got very sick. And um, we actually were celebrating um, knowing that we were going to have a second child. And had, I had gone to visit my parents and our oldest Claire got sick. And long story, after just taking care of her for a couple of days with a high fever, I put her down for a nap and Claire did not wake up. And uh, I, you can imagine um, just the emotions and the stress. And I just praise God that I did know CPR, I was able to help revive Claire and uh, we just greatly saw his provision for being so close to a hospital in a small town where um, they were able to stabilize her before she was life flighted to Dallas. Um, our sweet Claire was in a coma for a week and by God's grace and the prayers and support of this church and um, all of our friends in our ABF, our Sunday school class, um, Claire came out of her coma and God um, took care of us, got Claire to, here to Houston, and we remained there for seven more weeks as she was um, recovering from what we know as an unknown virus, a neurotropic virus that attacked her brain. And so that's where we've been um, on this journey. Um, I call it a marathon because when you're caregiving for someone um, daily, it is that chronic daily decision-making and um, just reliance on the Lord that you need. Uh, we did get to a place at that very beginning where we heard Claire may remain in a vegetative state, coming in and out of consciousness the rest of her life, and that felt devastating. Um, there was a scripture that uh, we clung to God's word, and there was a scripture that really um, just kind of marked how we felt during that time, and it comes from 2 Corinthians, and it says, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he literally did that for our Claire. Um, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Because we know that we will all continue to have trials and that he will continue to be faithful and continue to walk with us through those trials. 
It also says that you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers. And that's just the blessing of this church and how much this church has come alongside us. And it's all for God's glory. One of the, the greatest lessons that I learned um, through uh, trials is just the importance of having a, a firm foundation and a, and a strong relationship with the Lord prior to entering into the storm. Um, when uh, the bottom fell out, if I hadn't had a relationship with, with the Lord, I wouldn't have had anywhere to land. Um, but through God's grace, um, in those weeks that turned into months while Claire was in the hospital and we were staying at Ron McDonald House down in the medical center, um, I had the most intimate um, times with the Lord uh, where he really spoke to me through his word every day. Um, his word sustained me through that trial and the words literally leapt off the page um, at me and uh, the comfort uh, from his words, particularly from the Psalms and the promises of God's words that, that we cling, clung to during that season um, really sustained me. And if I hadn't had that foundation, if I hadn't had that relationship with the Lord uh, before the trial came, I wouldn't have had um, any source of hope, any source uh, to believe that this is going to get better and that God could somehow use it for his good. And I think with that, we both are so grateful that we didn't wait until a trial to get serious about the Lord, but we did have that foundation. And mm -hmm. just the importance of the two of us being equally yoked when you have just something devastating like this happened to your family. And uh, just that we can come together. We did, we still do. We still have so many decisions to make um, constantly, medical decisions, all kinds of decisions. But we just praise the Lord that we both put Jesus first, that that is our life and our breath, and that helps us um, keep our focus. Mm -hmm. And one of the greatest um, aspects of our testimony through um, this uh, this marathon, um, as Amy said, with Claire, has been um, the power of being connected to a church family, to the body of Christ. Um, this church literally sustained us um, through um, the most difficult season of our life uh, by the way that they ministered to us. Um, every twist and turn in the road, the church was there for us. Whether it was people driving up to Dallas just to hold our, our hand, to hug us, to pray for us, um, to strangers offering up their homes so we could get a shower after being in the hospital for three days, to um, people mowing our yard or bringing a meal or organizing our pantry or giving um, money to us for the financial needs that we had, for parking in the med center or Claire's medical needs. Um, every step along the way, um, this body, this church family was there for us ministering to our needs. And I always tell people that if an unbeliever would just have the opportunity to taste, just to witness a little bit of the grace of God that we experience through the body of Christ, the, the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of God's love that we experience through, through this church family. There'd be no way that they could um, uh, deny that there is a God in heaven that loves them and cares deeply and intimately for their personal needs. And that's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about the church. Uh, because it's God's provision for his people and for his plan for the world. We need to be uh, connected to the body of Christ. And, and, and that's, these are the people that we have committed our lives to, to, to walk through in the ups and the downs of life, to go to war for the kingdom of Christ with. And you don't experience that if you just come on a Sunday morning. You have to commit to investing in these relationships and to be all in. Um, and relationally with the people that God has brought you together with here um, in the local body of Christ.
And I think that's been true even to this day. I mean, here we are 17 years later and just continuing on this journey. We're just grateful for prayer and support and counseling and just good Bible teaching that just keeps us grounded. Uh, we have seen God work in many, many, I mean, we couldn't even begin to share all the ways that God has just glorified himself, but God continues to use this. It's an opportunity. It's a platform. When I go to meetings at school and I talk to teachers and doctors, just to share about God's goodness, to share what God has done, to share of his faithfulness and how he sustains us and he keeps us. And, uh, there's a verse that Dave, I guess, wanted to share from Psalm. Yeah, one of the verses that's really uh, been a banner over our lives through all this is Psalm 27, 13, which says, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And um, Christ is our hope. As, as Hebrews 6 says, he is an anchor for our soul. And um, with this verse just kind of declares the truth that when life is is dark and when things are, are are at their absolute worst we can believe that we're going to see god's goodness on the other side of that and that's been our experience and that's our prayer for for everyone who experiences a, a dark trial um, that they'll believe that the goodness of god is going to sustain them and they're going to be able to see that in the land of the living
My uncle Greg was 32 years old when he lost his eyesight. I was in high school at the time. I remember shortly after that his uh, visit with his wife and two young daughters to our house. And uh, I remember I was the one who led him around the house to show him where the furniture was and the stairs were so that he could get around, get accustomed in this new surrounding. I learned sometime later that for the next few years, 
Greg battled depression and fear and hopelessness. Before blindness, his marriage was a mess. And now that Greg was unable to work and uh, in financial trouble, the marriage just got worse. Greg had, in fact, been a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, since he was a child. But it was this long struggle in absolute darkness that pressed him into giving his absolute trust to Jesus to control all his life. Eventually, his wife, Sandra, also says that she hit bottom. She called it the pit of despair. And she said she experienced just how low a Christian can become. And at that point, she turned in desperation to God for forgiveness and for power. And Greg and Sandra witnessed the miraculous healing of their broken mess of a marriage. For the next 10 years, they served the Lord together with their two young daughters. And then the disease that took Greg's eyesight took his life as well. Greg's suffering was over, but Sandra and the girls were left in the darkness of grief and debt and uncertainty. What do you do when bad just gets worse? There's a song for that. We're in this series called Survival Songs, and each week we have been looking at one of the psalms. It's the songbook of the Old Testament. There are 150 of them. We're looking at seven. Out of the 150, almost half of those are psalms and songs of lament, of desperation, darkness. Today we look at probably the most miserable, hopeless song of them all, and that's Psalm number 88. It's been called the saddest psalm, the darkest and gloomiest of the psalms. And scriptures like this are very seldom used in church in any way, a scripture reading or a sermon. Most psalms have a, song, a, 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 a note, shall we say, of hope at the end, a glimmer of light in the darkness. But this one does not. This one starts with desperation and ends with depression. It's all darkness from beginning to end. Well, who wrote this tune? Haman is the man's name. It's spelled like He-Man, but it's pronounced more like a Jamaican greeting than a superhero. So Haman is the uh, temple musician. He's the founder of the choir. He's the worship leader. And just think about that for a moment. How do you carry out that job of leading God's people in worship when your life is going through hell, when you are experiencing the depths. And the very name Haman means faithful. What do you do when your own name mocks you? You're going through misery and your name says you're faithful. You're the one-eyed, three-legged dog with no tail named Lucky and you have to go on. What do you do? Well, apparently you write Psalm 88. You admit that you're facing just about every conceivable type of trouble without hope, without relief. I, I divide this psalm into three sections. 
anguish, accusations, and acceptance. And I'll lead you through these as we discover this. The anguish in the first five verses, the accusations that go through the middle section, and then acceptance, which really isn't as positive as it might sound. And even though this entire psalm is gloomy and desperate, there is a message I think we need to hear, you and I, today. There is a powerful truth that will help you and help me survive the darkness that this psalm describes. So we begin with the anguish, the first five verses. Haman writes, O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your eye to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, cut off from your care. So the writer doesn't hold back. He's desperate, he's suffering, and he lets God know it. This is good. As we said last week, prayer begins in pain. That's the privilege of the believer, the one whose faith and trust is in Jesus. We have that privilege to cry out to the Lord honestly, surely, to express your misery to him. One of the words that's used to describe his cry, one of the words to define cry here is the Hebrew word ranah. And it is a sound so loud that it echoes or rings. It's a ringing cry. So this is loud. It's noisy, his anguish to God. He says, I feel like a dead man walking. He's powerless to do anything for himself. And and it's as if God no longer cares about his pain. That's, That's the anguish he feels. God doesn't even care about me. This is unvarnished honesty. I got a message a few days ago from someone I do not know, and he said he was deathly afraid because out of anger he'd expressed his pain and misery to God, his doubt, and he felt as a result of that he could never be forgiven and life was not worth living. He wanted to die. I messaged him back almost immediately and tried to assure him that God could handle his angry words and his doubts and fears, and surely God would forgive him. The very fact that he was stricken in his heart about this was evidence that he could turn to God, and he never responded. So if you are listening and you are that man today, I want to encourage you. I want you to hear that in even the middle of the deepest darkness, it is possible to talk to God in your anguish to speak to him. Now, while there's nothing positive in this psalm, there is one constant that's related to this, and that is prayer. In his anguish, the psalmist never stops talking to God from beginning to end. Things don't get any better, but he keeps praying. He calls out from the very beginning to the saving God, the Hebrew word Yeshua, Jesus. Have you ever expressed emotion to God? Through Jesus, you are free to to share your frustration and pain with your Heavenly Father. It is a very act of faith 
to cry out to God from the pit of darkness, anguish. Second, accusations, begins in verse 6. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me. You've taken me from my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Notice all these accusations to God. This isn't the end of them, but it's the beginning. The psalmist recognizes that what's going on in his life isn't just a string of bad luck. He believes that God is sovereign and in control of the world and active among his people. So God could have prevented these bad things, but he hasn't. In fact, he blames God for causing all of that. There are four verbal phrases here that where he indicts the Lord. He says, you threw me in this pit of darkness. You took away my friends. You treat me like an enemy. You oppress me. And every single day I cry out to you. The accusation is not only that Haman is in absolute anguish. He's been abandoned by his friends. He mentions being repulsive to them. He says, you made me repulsive to them. So it's possible that he had a disease that was eating away at his body like leprosy, and this is what distanced him. God, you did this, and now I don't have any friends around me, and daily existence is a living death. He feels, he says, like an unknown soldier put in an unmarked grave, utterly abandoned, discarded, even by God. He has no one to comfort him, no friends. He's alone in the darkness. His life is filled with grief. And look at these four accusations in verses 10 to 12. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness to Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? So if you notice there, there are four question marks. Each one of these is an accusation. What's he saying? Well, in the first one, he's saying, you can't miraculously deliver me if I'm dead. It's too late then, so why aren't you answering my prayer now? Second, he's saying, well, I can't worship you if I'm dead, so why don't you listen to my cry for help so I can sing your praises now before it's too late? The third question, he mentions the grave and Abaddon, that's the place of death and destruction. And he says, when I'm dead and buried, how will that demonstrate your love and faithfulness? And the fourth, the last one, when everything is dark and no one remembers me and I'm completely forgotten, how is that going to be proof of your power and your justice? So, four accusations, and guess what? This psalm does not answer a single one of them. Not a one. But they're crucial. I want to come back to them in a moment. They, they are crucial to understanding and surviving the darkness. The third section is acceptance. But I cried to you for help, O Lord, begins verse 13. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? I've suffered your terrors, and I'm in despair. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They completely engulf me. You've taken my companions and my loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. I'm sure you can see 
easily with me how this psalm seesaws between prayer and accusation, between trust and doubt. But all along, there's this persistence that that continues, this attitude that that is expressed by Haman that even though I don't feel like loving God anymore, I'm going to continue loving God. Even though my efforts don't appear to make any difference at all in my miserable circumstances, I'm going to keep going. Uh, Even though the price I'm paying does not seem worth it in any way, I'm not quitting. And throughout this song, He keeps calling to God for help, but the darkness remains. Now, for those of you who struggle with discouragement and depression, please don't believe the lie that as a follower of Jesus, you should be immune from that sort of thing. And that is a lie. It's taught by many, mostly prosperity-type people, and it is not true because discouragement and darkness and even depression is very much a part of human experience jesus gives us hope in the midst of that uh, assurance that there's light at the end of the tunnel he gives power to endure he gives us the promise of hope in all honesty you can do everything right and still have everything go wrong. You can be as faithful as humanly possible and still have misery and darkness enter into your existence. And you can go through much time, maybe even most of life, without a sense that God is with you. In fact, with a sense that he doesn't care and has abandoned you. But that does not change the reality that the Lord is present with you. That's the the beauty of the gospel, that that promise that, that we will not be abandoned, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Nothing. There's nothing that can can change your identity if you're in Christ. You are who he says you are, not what your depression tells you or your world tells you. No, your your identity is in Christ. That can't change when you're founded in him. You're not founded in your own faithfulness. You're not founded on how good you live. You're founded on the righteousness of Christ, and that can't change. Well, this song ends with that very haunting phrase, the darkness is my closest friend. There is no final chorus of hope here. There's no ray of light. The song ends in darkness. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, the last word of this psalm is the word darkness. But this song should still encourage us. It should encourage us that darkness does not mean hopelessness. Do not give up in despair. Do not stop crying out to the saving God, Yeshua. See, through the darkness, God is calling you to himself. 
That's the part that darkness plays in our lives. It's a call to, to God himself to, to entrust ourselves to him, to, to keep holding on to him when all evidence seems to be gone. Acceptance that we see in the psalmist here is that, yes, I'm in anguish, but God is still God, and I'm going to keep worshiping him. Even though the darkness remains, even though this God seems to be absent from me and he is unseen. Now, I want you to appreciate with me how this psalm points to Jesus. I'm going to get very specific about this in a moment. But, but, but just think about this part. Hanging on the cross, carrying the weight of the sin of the world, my sin. Darkness covered the whole land, the Gospels say. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's in the darkness. It's an accusation or a statement where God the Father, the one he has been with from eternity past, has turned his back on his perfect son as he suffered the punishment for the sin of the world. And his cry to God the Father did not relieve the suffering of the Son. Even when Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this from me. If you are willing, take this from me. And the Father did not send angels to free him. No, Jesus went to the bitter end in excruciating pain, a brutal, bloody death. He endured it all, and he said, it is finished. And that's the greatest example of how God works and how often prayer is answered. It was God's will that Christ suffer to the greatest extent, for by that death on the cross, Jesus brought salvation for all who believe, for all who put their trust in him. We, we are saved from the penalty of our sin, and we're given new identities in the family of God. The cross did not go away. The pain did not stop or even lessen. And the light did not dawn, because God's greater purpose was at work. Now, I want you to remember those four accusations. And I just want you to think through them with me here. These four accusations are answered at the cross. The first one says, do you work wonders for the dead? And the answer is yes. After three days in the tomb, Jesus was raised to life. And because he lives, we too shall live. Second accusation. Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Yes. For those who belong to Jesus, death is a transition in the very presence of God. And one day we will gather with a countless crowd from every tribe and nation and tongue and sing his praise. Yes, the dead rise up to praise you. Third accusation. Is your love and faithfulness declared in the grave? Yes. God the Father did not abandon his son in death. The tomb is empty. The Savior lives. 
Great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. Fourth, are your wonders known in the darkness? Yes. Give thanks to God who has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his beloved Son. All these accusations answered at the cross. And we are able to see what the psalmist could not see. We have the finished work of Jesus to provide hope in our darkest places. Let me put it in these words. Jesus was truly abandoned so that you will never be abandoned, even when it feels like it. Yes, God the Father turned away from his perfect son as he bore the weight of our sin on the cross. And he experienced utter abandonment, unlike anything we could ever know. But because of that, for all of us whose trust is in Jesus, we will never be abandoned by our living God. Even though we feel like it sometimes, even though our experience says something far different, no, he has promised never to leave us or forsake us, that there's nothing on earth or in heaven above, no demonic power, nothing, nowhere, no power that can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. As a little girl, Jennifer Rothschild was captivated by color. She loved to even read the titles of her crayons. And she loved to study the difference between garnet and scarlet and maroon and burgundy. Her dream was to become a commercial artist. When she was 12, her vision problems started. In junior high school, she struggled to open up her combination locker. She struggled to read the, the chalkboard and to catch a ball on the playground. She constantly was running into people in the hallway and uh, not able to see them and was very embarrassed about this. She thought she was just clumsy. But eventually doctors found that she had retinitis pigmentosa and the prognosis was total blindness. And Jennifer thought, I'm not going to be able to drive a car. I'm not going to be able to be an artist. Are boys going to want to date me? A am I going to finish high school? A and if I do, will I be able to go off to college? When they got home from the doctor, finding out that her sight could not be improved, Jennifer went into the living room and sat down at her piano and began to play. Jennifer says, I couldn't see the sheet music. But instead, for the very first time in my life, I played by ear, and I played the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And on that dark day, God gave me hope and light she says, the greatest miracle wasn't that I played it as well with my soul. The greatest miracle is that because of Jesus, it really was well with my soul. And God gave new color to my life. Blindness has remained with me. It is still not well with my circumstance, but God has made it well with my soul. Maybe it's dark in your life right now. Maybe the light of your closest relationship has gone out. Maybe there's gloom that's caused by deep financial need, joblessness, or some other issue that is overshadowing the light in your life. Maybe the pain of illness, emotional wounds, or failure obscures just the glimmer of hope. 
Psalm 88 tells us that when darkness is not something you can escape, you can't change, can't control, the only way to survive is to cry out to God anyway. That when the answer is not what you asked for, when your pleas for help seem to be ignored, it doesn't seem, it doesn't feel like God cares, the only way to survive is to keep praying. And you can do that if you belong to Jesus. When in spite of your doubts and fears and times of failure, you can go on even in the dark. And that means that even if the cancer isn't treatable, even if the divorce goes through, even if the pain increases, even if they won't forgive you, even if the business goes under, even if she doesn't love you, even if he never recovers, even if you don't get your questions answered, even if the solution doesn't come in time, God is calling you to himself. Keep praying in the dark. Lord God, help us in that. We are weak and needy. I, for one, recognize how frail I am in so many ways. And my times of darkness can come and the doubts can creep in. But Lord, encourage your people today that you remain, that you are faithful and true, and we declare that today. Whether we are in the midst of a high time, a mountaintop experience filled with light and joy, or we are in the pit of despair and discouragement with no light at all, Lord, we cry out to you and worship and praise and adore you as the God of all creation, the God who saves. And we pray this in the powerful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.
benediction over you from Romans chapter 15, and then uh, following that at the conclusion of the service, if you did not have an opportunity to uh, see the uh, pre-service announcement from Kids Life about the opening of our programming uh, on September 13th, I encourage you to just stay uh, behind for a couple of minutes to watch that. We will replay it as uh, the service concludes. Receive this pronouncement of blessing from Scripture. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.
want to be added to our list, contact Nancy Moore. We're going to email out the registration link every Monday, and then you'll have until Thursday to go and register your kids or until the classes fill up. On Sunday morning, your tags will be located where your youngest child is. Uh, our volunteers will take temperatures of all children entering the area, and then volunteers will escort our children to their classrooms. Only volunteers and children will be allowed into kids' life areas on Sunday, and all our volunteers will be temperature checked. We're going to have limited class sizes, uh, limited touching of items by different kids, and we'll also have no mixing of classes. We have many things in place to keep our kids safe in kids' life, including hand sanitizer in each classroom, as well as cleanup procedures for our volunteers to follow. You know, there's lots of changes and different things uh, for our kids and volunteers and families this year, but we are still so excited for the opportunities to help our kids begin where they are and become more like Jesus this year. On Sunday morning, we will have our regular scheduled program at the 11 o'clock hour for kids. And on the second and fourth Sundays of every month, we will have kids' messages in the service. We also are going to have our family worship videos for families to gather at home and watch a video um, that has some teaching, some lessons, some music, um, and some activities and discussion questions for families to do at home. We also have Kids Life at Home. And that is going to be curriculum from early kids' life for our preschool and kindergartners. And also we have J-Clubs, which is Jump Kids Club and Journey 345 Club for our first and second graders and our third through fifth graders. And those will have activities so that they can still stay in touch with what we're doing here at Kids Life. We can't wait to see you all. Hope to see you soon.